Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Let's um, turn together. Grab a Bible, grab your smartphone, grab whatever you read the Bible on. To Matthew, it's in the uh, New Testament, first book of the New Testament, so it's about three quarters of the way through if you open the book. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, and um, I'm going to start reading at verse 13. Was that the number, Eric? What was that? What's the number in the Pew Bible? 981? Perfect. Page numbers are at the bottom of the page, I think, in the Pew Bibles. Top of the page? They're on the page somewhere. They're different numbers to the big number, which is a chapter number, and the little numbers in the lines, which is a verse number. Matthew chapter 14, so you see you've got a big 14 somewhere. And then we're going to look for a little 13 inside now. I want to say lucky for some, but you're not allowed. Or unlucky for some, verse 13. What, what we're going to do is um, we're going to have a quiet time together. And uh, one of the most powerful tools... I think, that we have as a church community is what we call SOAP. SOAP enables anyone at any time to open the Scripture and to learn to hear God speak. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? To know God speaking into our lives at any and every moment is an incredible gift. And uh, SOAP is our way of helping us unpack that. Scripture, O observation, A application, P for prayer. So here we go. This is our scripture. I'm going to read it to us first, and, uh, and then I'm going to lead us through from, uh, from there. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed those who were ill. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he told the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. Right, what I'd like you to do now just for the next moment is just to read it through uh, quietly in, uh, in, in your head. If, um, if you can't read in your head and you need to read out loud, then they'll whisper really quietly. So you're almost reading in your head. Yeah, go. Okay, doke. So sometimes uh, already something might have grabbed your attention. Now, remember that we're in a posture of wanting God to speak to us with the belief that when we are in that posture, God's keen to respond uh, to that prayer. So we're, we're looking for something that might grab our attention for today. There might be something different that grabs our attention tomorrow, different to what grabbed our attention last week from the very same uh, passage. 
And the way I go about that, and the way I invite you to go about that, is to ask questions about the passage as you go through. It might be that you're already uh, leaps and bounds ahead, and you've already begun to understand what God's speaking to you about. But if not, and sometimes that's uh, not the case, I go back through the passage asking some key questions. So, for example, with me from the top, verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, well, what had happened? What had happened? John the Baptist, John the Baptist was Jesus's cousin, so he just lost his cousin. So, when Jesus was full of grief and coming to terms with the loss of a relative, he withdrew by boat privately. To a solitary place. So even Jesus, the Son of God, gives himself permission to take a break when the stress is on, to take time out to appropriate, to deal with, to respond to his own grief. Some of us are in a driven, 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 driven. I can't stop. Jesus stopped, or at least attempted in this moment, uh, to stop and respond to what was going on in his internal uh, world. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him. Can't crowds be a pain? followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, because he was full of grief, he told the crowd to shove off and he couldn't care less about them. No, you notice that when Jesus is under pressure and, he, and his heart is broken open under pressure, what comes out is love and compassion. What comes out when I'm under pressure? I'm not going to tell you. But you might ask yourself that same question. Um, uh, he responded to them and healed those who were ill. As evening approached... The disciples are worried about where their meal's going to get come from. Isn't that the case? Quite often, the biggest worry, where's my next meal coming from? This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Or in other words, Jesus, we're starving. Let's get rid of the crowds so we can have something to eat. But they put it in a, in a more polite way because they want to feel like they're caring about the crowds. But really they're thinking about their stomachs. Okay, you with me? So we're asking lots of questions about what's going on. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. Why on earth not? There's no food on the hillside. You give them something to eat. Why is Jesus asking them to do something he knows they don't think they can do? Why is Jesus asking them to do something that they think only he can do? What is Jesus hoping to draw out of the disciples in asking them to do something that's beyond what they seem to feel is their natural ability? They say, we've only five loaves of bread and two fish. Where did the five loaves and two bread of fish come from? The small boy. It doesn't mention the small boy here, but it does in other uh, accounts of this story, which is lucky because we thought perhaps the small boy was also a myth. Some people are still um, recovering from discovering that the donkey in the Christmas story is actually a myth because it's not in the Bible. You know that. The donkey's not in the Bible. I know there's a song about it, Little Donkey, but it's not actually in the Bible. Anyway, moving on. Jesus says, bring them here to me. And he told the people to sit down on the grass. What are the disciples thinking in this moment? Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he, he did what? He gave, he gave thanks. Well, why did he give thanks? Why was giving thanks so important? I might have prayed, Lord, multiply this bread and fish quickly. But he didn't. He didn't ask for that. He simply gave Thanks. Why has Jesus, in a moment of need, got a posture of giving thanks? What does that say about our Christian journey, our discipleship, and our walk of faith? They all ate. Wow. Oh, sorry, I missed a bit out. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, 
And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Why did Jesus use the disciples? Why didn't Jesus just, oh, you've been hopeless. You haven't been able to sort it out. I'll do it myself. Anyone ever said that? I'll do it myself. Much easier to do it yourself than to get other people to help you. But somehow Jesus still involves the disciples. They're still part of the process. They uh, feed the, um, the bread and the fish to the people. Miraculously, everybody gets fed. And there are 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Why were there 12 baskets left over? Why not seven or eight or nine? Why 12? To be honest, I don't know, but it's a good question, isn't it? What is the meaning of the 12? And why, why were, was it broken pieces that were left over? Is there any significance in the brokenness of the pieces that were left over? And then we're told that the number of those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So it was a heck of a lot of people got fed from one guy's small bread and loaf. In all of that, obviously I've done that very quickly, and we might do that in slower time if we've got the time. What is the Holy Spirit saying to me? Go back over the passage now, just for a minute, perhaps 90 seconds, literally. If you're an extrovert, it'll seem like an hour and a half. If you're an introvert, it'll go in five seconds flat. 90 seconds, asking the question to yourself, okay, so what's God saying to me in these verses this morning? Go. Now, in order to reward the extroverts who've sat quietly and still for 90 seconds, turn to the person next to you and just share what's going going on in 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 your mind right now. Go. Okay, now the the killer deal. Now the the moment when something up here uh, comes down here, something out there gets in here, now the rubber hits the road. We can observe all kinds of things about the scriptures. And if you're like me, if I see something new or get a fresh perspective on something that I haven't seen in a while or perhaps I've never seen before, that gives me a little bit of a buzz. Uh, that might be sad, but that's true, and uh, it's true for some of you too. Uh, and we can, we can treat that buzz as the end of the road. Oh, God's spoken to me. Fantastic. No, that's just the beginning. The next bit is the application. Think about what you're observing, what you've been drawn to, what you're reflecting about, what it's made you think about. Uh, and we need to ask this question now, what am I going to do about it? If I don't do anything about it, The Bible says it's as good as useless. It's like the wise man and the foolish man. The foolish man built on the sand. And of course, when the storms come, uh, the house was nowhere to be seen. So simply getting to this stage in the process, which is the the, the bit that perhaps is the most dynamic for us, uh, and the easier bit is only half the story. The next bit, dig down. What are you going to do about it? We're going to have one minute in absolute silence when you ask the Holy Spirit, what are you going to do? to just help you, what am I going to do about this? What's my response going to be? Make it as specific and as accurate as you possibly can. Go. Now, very simply, just share with the person again around you or the people around you, what is it that you're going to do? And the, the, the hard thing about sharing is that, one, it makes us vulnerable. That's why it's hard. But the good thing about it is it also makes us accountable. Because the next time you see that person, they will say, did you do it? Go. <clears throat> okay, well done everybody. If, if, if in these moments uh, you have something that you're taking away as you leave this morning, would you raise your hand? Okay, so 50, 60, 70% of people in that moment. If you didn't raise your hand, that's absolutely fine. Uh, some moments are like that. 
But it's a very simple, powerful way of allowing God's word to connect with our hearts. I'm going to invite you next week uh, to, so- to seek out the person that you chatted with and, uh, and to ask them how they got on with what uh, uh, they talked to you about and you need to share how you got on with what you talked uh, to them about. I just want to offer some final reflections on this passage as we go out into our week. Earlier on this last year, uh, Kerry went away um, by herself, not quite by herself, but not with the rest of us, um, and we were delighted for her to have that opportunity to go away. The girls uh, are all over the shop anyway, so it just left the boys at home. We can cope. We can, we can do it. And I discovered, I discovered being left at home that most of the rhythms around our house I'm quite supportive of. The vegetable rhythm, I wasn't quite so sure about. And, and if we're honest, we did have a discussion about whether we could cook and eat all the vegetables the first day uh, and then not have to bother for the rest of the week. But I, I pushed through on that one because I would be found out. But there was a rhythm. When I came to it, I said, no. I put my foot down with a firm hand. And that was to do with bedroom scatter cushions. For those of you who don't know, bedroom scatter cushions are cushions that go on your bed when you're not in it. They are absolutely useless. Because when you get into your bed, you have to take the scatter cushions off in order to get in. But, I hear all the ladies predominantly, but there might be some gentlemen saying, but they look beautiful. But there is a big problem, ladies and gentlemen. It's your bedroom. And you make it look beautiful and then you leave. And you do not return until it's bedtime. So unless you're the kind of family, and we're not, that welcomes most people that visit into your bedroom, (laughs) your scatter cushions are utterly useless. So I took these scatter cushions off our bed and I placed them in a neat pile in the corner and I thought to myself, there you will stay for the whole seven days or at least until 15 seconds before Kerry comes back into the house. And that got me thinking. It got me thinking about how much time in my life I was saving. And I began to calculate And I calculated that over a 10-year period, if I no longer moved those scatter cushions at the beginning of the day and put them back at the end of the day and moved them back and back and forth, I would save three working weeks of my life over a 10-year period. Wow. Which made me think about the power of doing one small thing that in the end makes a big difference. One small thing that over time amounts to a big change. This little boy had a few loaves and a few fish. They were small and inconsequential, but Jesus did something incredible with them. What can Jesus do with some small things that we do that over time make a big difference? Let me describe a few of those to you from our experience that might help you think about what I'm talking about as we go into the new year. One of the values that's super important to Kerry and I is to not just allow life to happen to us, but to try and anticipate it and to lead in it. And in order to do that, we need to create some time. 
And like most of us here, we're time short. So on a Monday morning, uh, we run around like uh, lunatics to try and get everything ready for the beginning of the day in order that we can get to church an hour, uh, sorry, half an hour, maybe 40 minutes if we're lucky, uh, ahead of the first thing that we need to do here so we can park the car, walk up to Norwich Road, sit in the Portuguese cafe, have a cup of coffee together and talk about some of the things that are really important going on in our world. It's 40 minutes at max, maybe only 35 minutes. It takes an enormous amount of energy to get us there, and then we rush back and we get into what we're doing for the day. And on the surface of it, it's a very small thing, and by itself, it seems almost pointless. But if we do that every week, you with me? A small step over time makes a big difference. At the end of our family meals in the week, uh, and we've let this slip this year, it's been a, a, a bad kind of year for us in this regard. It is our intention and our desire before we clear up to seize that moment to pray together with whoever happens to be in our family and whoever happens to be around our table. It's a very small thing. It'll last five minutes. It's almost in that moment, seemingly inconsequential. But if we do that every day, then that mounts up to a significant difference and creates a significantly different dynamic in the prayer life of our family. You with me? Joel says... And I wouldn't take advice from Joel normally. He says, a podcast a day keeps the devil away. So as he gets on his bike to go to school, he whacks on a podcast, in goes the headphones, and off he goes. It's a small of itself, inconsequential thing, but five days, two weeks, a month, several months, a small step makes a big difference. Maybe some of you are at work and thinking, you know, my team's just all, what can we do? A small thing will make a big difference. Invite your team for coffee once a week, 15 minutes, nothing more. Sit down, have a cup of coffee together and see what God will do. In the first 15 minutes, it'll come and go and it'll be inconsequential. But if you do that week on week or month on month or even day on day, a small thing adds up to a significant difference. What are your five loaves and two fish? that if you actually offered them to Jesus, would make up a big difference and see a big change. The person that you um, uh, think about things that you do regularly, for example, you you get on a bus on a Tuesday morning and you always see the same person on the bus because they're doing things by routine and rhythms as well. What if in that moment you decide this year, I'm actually going to start speaking to that person that I sat next to on the bus for the last couple of years? It's a small thing. But if you do that over time, it makes a big difference. So as we gather all of this stuff this morning, all the things that you've reflected about and talked about together where you're sitting, what I'm talking about here about a small thing that makes a big difference, let's just calm our spirits for a moment and just invite the Holy Spirit. Lord, just, just, just breathe over us and, and speak into our worlds. We don't want to get overwhelmed with a million uh, New Year's resolutions with great big challenges that we'll fail at at the first hurdle. But we're hearing from your word that little things in the powerful name of Jesus can make a big difference. What are the little things that Jesus is inviting you to step into that could make a big difference in your world? And just as a sign in these moments that we've heard God speak and we're going to do something about it, If you've got something you're going to do, we just want to invite you to stand where you are.